Hi, and welcome to our show, Forever Paranormal, with your host, Dr. Bill and Ed, where we will discuss such things as cryptids, UFOs, hauntings, angels, unsolved mysteries, government conspiracies and cover-ups, witchcraft, the metaphysical, and more, as well as stories sent in by you, our listeners. If we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. And you may be surprised by what all is connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Just reach out. Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode, where we are going to discuss the curse of the Bell Witch and the Bell Witch Cave in Adams, Tennessee, a small rural community nestled up against the border of Kentucky along the Red River. Hi, Deb. Hi. So, did you enjoy your vacation? Yes, very much. How about you? Yes, it was great. I think the nicest part of it was spending it with you. Yes, absolutely. It was much needed. Yes, it was. We needed a break. It's our first one all year. Yeah. We waited all year before we realized we never took a vacation. I know. I'm crazy, crazy. Okay, then. So let's just go ahead and start into the tale of the Bell Witch in the Bell Witch Cave, a story that has been infamous for over 200 years. Pretty good for a location with a total population of only 624 as of the 2020 census, and a current population of 656. There is one thing that stands out and separates this ghostly story from all others. This was investigated by the state government, and it was concluded that John Bell died of supernatural causes. To this day, this is the only death officially recognized by Tennessee or any other state as being due to supernatural cause. This is a pretty wild tale, and all things will go from it being an angel to a witch to a demon or the ghost of a disgruntled neighbor, Kate Batts, depending on which version you buy into, but most say it is the ghost of Kate. Either way, it's still out there in the cultural zeitgeist today. It even drew the attention of Andrew Jackson before he was president and purportedly said he would rather face the British Army than the Bell Witch. This has captured the intention of ghost hunters, historians, and paranormal enthusiasts from all over the world. There have been numerous books, television shows, and even major motion pictures inspired by this tale. I am surprised the population is so small since this is a a tourist area. There are tours, a museum, festivals, even canoe trips. Also, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump from Nashville for tourists in Nashville to take, you know, a break from the loud noise and everything there. Well, yeah, you're right. It's, what, 60 miles, something like that? I think it's only like 30. I thought it was a little bit farther than that, but I'm not really sure. But still, you've got to remember, we're talking about the population of the people that live there full time. Oh, yeah. Right? We're not talking about the amount of people that are in the town visiting, staying. Right. What kind of revenue it's generating. And this is just a 
the full-time population. I see. Maybe they all work at the museum. And no, it's just farms a, the museum's and... actually on a, a private farm. There's just one small family that has it, oh. and they use it to supplement their income. Same I with see. the Bell Witch Cave Museum stuff. And the museum's actually owned and run by a ancestor of John Bell. It seems this is all centered around one family, that of John Bell, a prosperous farmer whose homestead was along the Red River. John Bell and his wife Lucy had eight kids, according to genealogy records. The story of the Bell family dates back to 1804. John Bell moved his wife Lucy and their children from Edgecombe County, North Carolina, to Robertson County, Tennessee, where he purchased 320 acres of farmland along the Red River. At the time, the Tennessee frontier was a wilderness with dense forests as far as the eye could see. Neighboring family homes were usually miles apart from one another. Can you hear the banjos? The family lived a peaceful life for 13 years, but in the summer of 1817, the family started to experience things that would change their lives forever. Yeah, there's one thing I do want to point out, though. A lot of the records that you read said John and Lucy Bell had six children. Well, they had six children when they moved from North Carolina to Tennessee. They had two more that were born in Tennessee. So according to the genealogy records, they did have a total of eight kids because a lot of the stories you read says they only had six. And, you know, John Bell was described as a man of commanding presence. His commanding presence, combined with the fact that he had the largest farm in the county, quickly made him a leader in the community. But you know how it is. When you're a leader, you also gain many enemies. One such enemy was Kate Batts, a widower who claimed that John Bell had illegally co-opted her land. The two had numerous run-ins until she passed away of illness. But it is said that on her deathbed, she swore a curse on the family and stated that she would return to enact that curse. That's when things went from civil to terrifying, and the Bell Witches born. You know, as with every legend, there are different versions depending on what source you use. And one thing I ran into was, uh, or one version was, at some point after Kate Batts had passed away, her grave was dug up and her bones were strewn all across uh, the land in that area. And um, the disturbance created this witch and some of her bones were underneath the house John Bell worked and she couldn't get to them or something like that. Hmm. So that just... Um, points to the fact that you have to take it all with a grain of salt. Exactly, because there's another legend out there, too. It's not as wide, where John Bell locked her in his cellar and kept her there, and she starved to death, and the bones, her bones were in the basement. Mm -hmm. So there's different stories out there. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm not going to go with that one. So... <laughs> But either, anyhow, let's not forget that according to the legend, the witch has the ability to speak, shapeshift, and be in multiple places at one time. 
But those, th those things really aren't that different from any other types of hauntings. And this was at a time where anything that was weird was called witchery. You know, this was, what, 100 years after Salem Witch Trials, maybe? And everything like that was still strong in people's minds. It is said that it started one day in 1817 when John Bell was inspecting his cornfield where he encountered a strange-looking animal sitting in the middle of a cornrow. Shocked by the appearance of this animal, which had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit, Bell shot at it several times, but the animal vanished. This was the first documented manifestation of the entity. Bell thought no more about the incident, at least not until after dinner. Whatever it was didn't stay in the field or the woods. Later that evening, the family began hearing beating sounds on the outside of their log home. The mysterious sounds continued with increased frequency and force each night. Bell and his sons often hurried outside to catch the culprit, but always returned empty-handed. In the weeks that followed, the Bell children began waking up frightened, complaining that rats were gnawing at their bedpost. Not long after that, the children began complaining of having their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed to the floor by a seemingly invisible entity. Yes, this really does sound like a poltergeist. Even the family's enslaved workers reported strange happenings. An enslaved man named Dean said he encountered the witch several times. <clears throat> he said that the witch usually took the form of a dog-like creature that sometimes had two heads. Dean admitted that soon after these encounters, he began carrying around a witch ball, air quotes, made by his wife to protect him from harm. Now, you know I have to ask, what is this witch ball? Inquiring minds want to know. A witch ball <clears throat> is a glass sphere that supposedly if the witch comes after you or something like that, if you can get her to touch it, she gets trapped inside of it. So it's like a, a glass jar or almost like a snow globe type of ball you're carrying with you. And I think it's got, you know, the certain spells put in there of protection. Different hoodoo, uh, like, different mojo type of things put in there for protection. So like a mojo bag, sort of. Almost like a mojo bag, but made of glass, yes. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just the enslaved people. Even some of the family's neighbors and friends experienced unusual encounters with the witch as well. One incident involved a family named William Porter in which he supposedly grabbed a hold of the witch and attempted to throw the invisible entity into the fire. He was unsuccessful as the massive weight and terrible odor of the witch were too much for him to bear. wonder what kind of odor it was. wonder if it was like a... I don't know. Then as time went on, the bells began hearing faint whispering voices which, too weak to understand, but sounded like a feeble old woman singing hymns. The encounters escalated, and the Bell's youngest daughter, Betsy Bell, began experiencing brutal encounters with the invisible entity. It would pull her hair and slap her relentlessly, often leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. The disturbances about which John Bell had vowed his family to secret finally escalated to the point that he shared this family trouble with his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnston. Skeptical at first, Johnson and his wife spent the night at the Bell home. 
Things began peacefully, but once they retired for the evening, they were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances that the Bells had been experiencing. After their bed covers were yanked off and James was slapped, he sprang out of bed exclaiming, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? The entity did not respond. The rest of the night was peaceful, and the next morning, the Johnsons explained to the Bells that the culprit was likely an evil spirit, the kind that the Bible talks about. The witch's or ghost or entity's voice strengthened over time and became loud and unmistakable. It actually sang hymns, quoted scripture, carried on intelligent conversations, and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. Now, I wonder how that was verified back then. Anyhow, word of the supernatural phenomena soon spread outside the settlement and even into Nashville, where then Major General Andrew Jackson became interested in the so-called Bell Witch. Okay, so let's go down this rabbit hole a little bit to find out how a future president gets caught up in this saga. Well, John Bell Jr., along with his brothers Drury and Jesse Bell, had fought under General Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. A few years later, in 1819, Jackson heard about the disturbances at the Bell home and decided to pay a visit and investigate. As Jackson's entourage, consisting of several men, well-groomed horses, and a large wagon, approached the Bell property, the wagon jolted to a sudden stop. It had become stuck in a muddy creek bed, and the horses were unable to pull it. At least, that was what the men thought. After several minutes of cursing and trying to coax the horses into pulling the wagon, Jackson, who also was from Tennessee, proclaimed, By the Eternal, boys! That must be the Bell Witch. Then suddenly, a disembodied female voice told Jackson that they could proceed and that she would see them again later that evening. They were then able to proceed across the property, up the lane, into the Bell home. That evening, Jackson told war stories while his entourage set up their tents in, in Bell's yard. You know, one of the men claimed to be a witch tamer. Not sure what that is, but... After several uneventful hours, he pulled out a shiny pistol and proclaimed that its silver bullet would kill any evil spirit that it came into contact with. He went on to say that the reason nothing had happened to them was because whatever has been haunting the bells was scared of his silver bullet. Immediately, the man screamed and began jerking his body in different directions, complaining that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. A strong, swift kick to the man's posterior region from an invisible foot sent him out the front door. Angry, the entity spoke up and announced that there was yet another fraud in Jackson's party and that she would identify him the following evening. Hmm, another fraud. That's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now terrified, Jackson's men begged him to leave the Bell Farm. But Jackson insisted on staying. Yeah, he wanted to know who the other fraud was. The men eventually went outside to sleep in their tents while continuously begging Jackson to leave. What happened next is not really clear, but we do know that Jackson and his entire entourage were spotted in nearby Springfield early the next morning going back to Nashville. 
Some allege that Jackson later proclaimed, I would rather fight the British at New Orleans than fight the Bell Witch. There are many stories of this tale attracting a lot of people and, you know, different people camping out in Bell's yard and things like that, the experiences. Was it an angel? Was it a demon? What was it? And it seemed that the witch was happy to entertain or torment visitors like a tourist attraction. We need to remember that this old witch set her sights mostly on John and his daughter Betsy. While she was purportedly exceedingly kind to Bell's wife, she heaped abuse and scorn on the homestead's patriarch for years, tormenting him until he grew sick and frail. In December 1820, John came down with what would be a final illness. His attending doctor discovered a mysterious vial half filled with a dark-colored liquid. Upon the discovery of this vial, the chatty bell witch crowed triumphantly. It's useless to try to relieve old Jack. I have got him this time. He will never get up from that bed again. Referring to the vial, she affirmed, I put it there and gave old Jack a big dose of that last night while he was asleep, which fixed him. John Bell died the next day. It was even said that the witch had crashed his funeral and sang cheerful drinking songs during the ceremony. After that, the witch seems to have mostly left the bells alone. Its primary goal accomplished. It popped up sporadically thereafter, but never anything close to the sustained terror it visited on the family's patriarch. It is the death of John Bell that makes the story of the Bell Witch so distinctive. Rarely does a supernatural story like this result in a fatal, physical impact on a human being. Ghosts simply don't commit murder. And it's due to this unusual aspect of the legend that has led people for decades since to try to figure out what exactly happened and why. Or can a ghost actually commit murder, as the Bell Witch has supposedly accomplished? Okay, but where in the heck does the cave come into play? I mean, it is a huge tourist attraction and is said to be cursed. Legend says that if you take anything, even a stone, from the cave, that the curse will follow you home and bad things will immediately begin to happen. Well, kind of like Robert the Doll stuff, right? There are numerous letters sent back with the stones people have taken over the years from the cave asking for forgiveness and for the curse to stop. I know I, for one, would like to see some of these letters so I can try to follow up with these folks and who sent them and see if whatever was going on in their lives turned around for the good once they mailed the rock back. That would be interesting. Yeah, I'm curious about that. Same with some of the Robert Tadal stuff. Right. You know, many people believe that when the witch departed the family, she fled to the sanctuary of this cave, and that's where her spirit lives. But in one particular legend, in which the cave is featured, young Betsy Bell and some of her friends had gone to explore the cave. While they were there, one of the boys crawled into a hole and became stuck where her voice cried out, I'll get him out. Then the boy felt hands grasping his feet as he was pulled out of the hole by Kate. There was other history associated with the cave as well, since they were used as crop storage due to the cooler climates within them. And it is now a registered historic site, offering tours and even has a gift shop. Well, Deb, what do you think of this whole story? Well, you know I've got questions. Sure. I can understand the attacks on the father by Kate 
as the story goes, but I am perplexed at the torture of the little girl, Betsy. I originally thought, okay, she was one of the two children born in Tennessee, but why wasn't the other one as well? Well, from what I understand, the problem with Betsy was who she was engaged to. She was engaged to a neighbor guy that Kate did not approve of. Apparently, Kate was somehow related to Lucy Bell through the genealogy records. And they had sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws and sisters and brothers all mingled and married. I think that's how the Bells ended up in that part of Tennessee. And there was some marriage arrangement between Betsy and, and one of the neighbors that Kate didn't approve of. They, it was an arranged, like when she was a little girl, to marry this other person? No, it wasn't was tortured arranged. tortured as a little girl. No, it, it wasn't arranged. She wasn't that young. you got to yeah. remember, 14, 15 years old at that time, they were marrying them off. I right? see. Because even in the genealogy records, it's very unclear how old Lucy was when she married John Bell. We know John Bell was 34 years old when he married Lucy. But we don't know whether Lucy was 12 or 15 at the time of that marriage. Mm. You know, that was way different times. Well, you know what they say about curiosity killing the cat. I hope this doesn't happen to me, but what is a witch tamer? Is it real? A witch tamer is someone that claims to be able to control and get rid of a witch. And... I think the term back then really didn't refer to a witch as much as it does a ghost, a spirit, or an entity. Someone that can come in and cleanse a home, for example, you know, do a smoke cleansing, things like that. But I think the guy sounds like, anyhow, the guy was full of crap. Sounds like. Yeah, but I believe that's what the term witch tamer meant back then. Oh, I see. You know, I don't think it's somebody that can get rid of evil curses or this or that and and kill the witch. A witch is a living person. That would be some type of murder. Well, maybe not. You know, they did hang one in Salem and drown 36 others or something like that. So, or, or burnt one at the fire and drowned 36 others somewhere around there. Okay, final question. Is it actually possible... For a ghost of a witch, or even a ghost, to commit murder. I mean, how... I don't don't understand how that worked. Well, I think, yes, the ghost can kill somebody by giving them a heart attack or something like that, scaring them to death. But this, in this case, she put a vial of liquid at his bed, according to the legend. Right, And, and I know we both came across the same um, scientific explanation. Yes, thank you. In our research <laughs> where, you know, what one a scientist has looked at everything nowadays and says it was more than likely arsenic poisoning, that right. somebody killed him with arsenic poisoning over time. So, you know, it could have been Kate. It could have been Betsy. They were related. Um, they could have been working together, 
I don't know. It's really hard to tell. I just know that this thing is still going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny and doesn't quit. Mm. You know, but we're going to leave that up to the audience and our listeners to figure out. And well, folks, this brings us to the close of The Legend of the Bell Witch. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And thanks for listening. And until next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening. And remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode. And our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash foreverparanormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode. (laughs) 